Well, hey, good morning. Like you said, my name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and I'm really glad each and every one of you are here. Um, the cool thing about that is none of us are here by accident. Uh, God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us here uh, today. And, and I'm excited for, for what we're going to be looking at uh, in Scripture this morning. First things, kiddos, do you have your, your sheets, your green? I don't, are they green today? They are green. Yes, wonderful. Words today are together and rejoice. And you can also, if I say joy, that can count as rejoice. Joyce or, I'm Joyce, <laughs> joy or rejoice. All righty, looking forward to, to those. I had, a, I had a ton of fun reading your, your sermon notes this week uh, and look forward to, to seeing them again uh, this, this Monday and, uh, and today. Uh, so yeah, so last week we were looking at what we were calling the stamp of citizenship. And we were talking what it meant to have that, what it meant to be citizens of heaven. Paul was writing to the church of Philippi, and he was telling, uh, telling his hearers, listen, there's, there's people who live as enemies of the cross, and they live uh, opposed to what God is doing in their lives, opposed to God at work. And we said that there's the stamp of citizenship, what Paul was, was encouraging his, uh, the believers to hear was one that we're called to trust. We're called to trust in God's promises and his faithfulness instead of what we see in our current circumstances and experiences. That believers were called to live in a hope of Christ's return and of God's complete working in us, of, of his continued working in us. And we were called to be citizens and servants of heaven to reach those with the love of God. That we weren't called to live in our bubbles. We weren't called to stay and isolate ourselves from, from the world. And we looked at John 17 where Jesus was praying for his disciples. And he said, hey, I, I'm not praying that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them while they are in it. And so that was, that was some of the truths that we came out of our scripture last week. And we're, we're jumping into Philippians chapter 4. So if you got your Bibles with you this morning, love for you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at some, some practical, at the practical level, what it means to be a citizen of heaven. What does our citizenship look like on a practical level? And I love how Paul does this. Paul kind of takes a, a 30,000 foot view, say, hey, look, look what happens in the world. The world is, there's kind of two ways. You can live as an enemy of the cross or you can live as a citizen of heaven. And this is what it looks like. And then Paul transitions into what we're looking at today. And that is a couple things. He's, he's challenging and encouraging the believers to stand firm in your faith. We talked about last week where there's things that just don't make sense sometimes. There's things that we see, the, the experiences, the, the truth that we know to be true from Scripture don't necessarily reflect themselves in our world, in our society. So Paul's encouraging us to stand firm in our faith. He's encouraging us to pursue unity together. He's going to look at an example in Scripture where there was some conflict. And we're going to look at what, is it, what do we do with conflicts? How does our citizenship and, and what we're called to live, that stamp of citizenship, how does that affect us on a day-to-day -day lives when we come into contact with other people, with other believers? And lastly, he's calling us to rejoice in the Lord and giving us reasons to rejoice, saying, yes, I know that the, the Christian journey is tough. I know it's hard, it's challenging, you're going to face trials. Jesus says, hey, in this world, they're going to hate you because of me. In this world, you will have, have trouble. But he's saying, hey, we have reasons to rejoice. And so that is where we're going to be this morning. And I'm excited about that, excited about Scripture. And uh, I'm, 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 let's dive in it together. So first, 
how many of you have ever known somebody who is just like so incredibly happy and joyful? Anybody know those people? And there's something about them that kind of just stands out like a sore thumb. You're like, man, why are you so happy all the time? I don't understand. You know, pre-coffee, I'm like, I'm not the happiest person in the world. Jeremy and anybody in our office can probably attest that. There's, there's a moment, like, I, I got to have some caffeine in me before I get going in the morning. And I was, as I was preparing for this message and preparing to, to look at Scripture, I thought about a friend of mine. So many of you uh, know I come from a banking background, and uh, I'll be honest with you, there's times where I wasn't super thrilled about going and being a banker in the morning. It wasn't the most fun job for me, but I, but I did it. And I worked at a bank, and I worked with this older lady, and her name was Connie. And there was just something about Connie that, that just radiated happiness and joy, and I would come into the bank in the morning, and I, you know, I'm still, my coffee's still full because it's hot and I haven't drank it all yet. And I'm kind of working into my desk. I'm like, all right, we're going to start another day of banking. And uh, I'd see Connie. And Connie would always have a smile on her face. She was, just had a pep in her step. She was just ready to go for the day. And she had this phrase, and I actually did a little bit of research because I wasn't sure if this is just was a southern phrase or if this was pretty national-wide. But I'd always ask, hey, hey, hey Miss Connie, how are, how are you doing today? And she said, oh, I'm just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Does anybody know what that means? A little bit? No? All right. Well, I'm going to give you a lesson. So I think it is a little bit of a, a regional thing. So bright-eyed and bushy-tailed kind of makes you think of a squirrel. They're all giddy. They're ready to go. It's this idea that, hey, I'm ready for this day. I am pumped about this day. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what's happening. There's, there's just nothing that can get in the way of that. And I always just thought that phrase was funny. I was like, well, that's just such a weird thing to say, Miss Connie. Uh, but that, that just perfectly just captures her spirit. And the more I got to know Connie was this, this picture that her life wasn't easy. She struggled fighting cancer. Her husband was, was in the hospital many, many times had other issues with, with kiddos, and, uh, and her life was just was hard. And the more I learned about it, how, I started asking myself, how can, how can you, going through what you're going through, the pain that you might be experiencing, and the trials that just, man, I don't understand why you would be facing those. How do you do that and remain this, this picture of joy that we see? And through many conversations, I learned that she's a believer. I learned that what she holds, holds tightly to is the hope that she has in Christ. Her faith is just on her sleeves. Her faith and her, and her trusting in God's working, even when it doesn't make sense in her life, is evident. And I, I thought about Connie throughout this entire time studying this passage, and I thought, man, that's what Paul is talking about. When he says, hey, we have reasons to rejoice, it's not saying, hey, put on a fake smile, kind of grin and bear, but no, there, there, there are true reasons that we, can, that we can rejoice in. As Pastor Jeremy says, it, it's where our focus lies. And so we're going to dive into that this morning. So like I said, if you got your Bibles, you'll turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start uh, in verse 1. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you, who, you whom I love and long for, my joy in crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. And so that therefore obviously means we're looking kind of back 
towards the end of chapter 3. We're looking back at the truths that we discovered last week of standing firm and living in that hope and, and focusing on what God is doing, trusting in the fact that God is in control and God is sovereign even when it's difficult. And he's encouraging them. I mean, those are, those are some powerful words, whom I, I love and long for. My joy and my crown. Stand firm in this, Lord. He's like, I, listen, I love you. You can do this. Stand firm. It is possible. Don't, you don't have to trust completely on your own effort, but stand firm in what God is doing in your life. It goes back to Philippians 1, 27. It says, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. That's the cross reference there. It's this idea that our lives should look like our citizenship. Stand firm in that faith. Don't, don't be willing to, to, to give up your, the, what you know to be true from your faith because of what you see around you. Don't let the experiences of, of uh, living in a world that's opposed to what God is doing get you down. He says, stand firm. He's calling believers to stand firm in the hope that God is faithful and in control. And I love this idea of hope. We talked about it a little bit last week. Hope is, is a joyful and confident expectation that God is going to do what he says he is going to do. Live in that hope. It's not a wish list for Christmas. I'm sure some of you kiddos have started making your, I know my kiddos have got the list of all the things that they want for Christmas. That's a wish list, right? You know, when, she, when they put like a, you know, a car on there, I'm like, you're five. I'm not buying you a, a car for Christmas. And they're talking about like an actual car. Uh, that's a wish list that's not going to come true. The hope that we're living in, the hope that we're pursuing is the hope that it, we know it will. It may not happen right now. What we're experiencing right now may, may say something different, but we know that the hope that God is in control and he is at work and he will finish his work. Stand firm in your faith, Paul says. It continues in verse 2. It says, I plead with Eodia, and I plead with Suntuke to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. It's pretty fun, and we don't know much about Euodia and Suntuke, but they're known for their conflict. They, all of history, the only thing that we know about these two ladies is a conflict. And that's got to be, uh, it's a little funny. I can't, you know, when we're in heaven, we say, hey, I'd love to hear about, I'd love to hear about this, because we don't know a lot about exactly what this conflict is. But clearly, Paul felt strongly enough about it to mention it in a letter read publicly. Can you imagine that? I, as I was kind of reading through this, I was like, man, I was, I'm sitting, if I'm sitting in that room uh, and I'm, I'm one of these ladies here, I, I don't think they're probably sitting next to each other. They, they might have that disagreement, but like, you know what, hey, I, like, I, I love you, but I don't like you right now kind of mentality. And as you're reading the Paul, like, Paul, yes, this is great truth. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, man, yes, what, what an encouragement. And it gets to this point of the letter, and they got to kind of be like, you know, leaning back in their chair like, oh, my goodness, he's calling us out by name here. So we don't know a lot about the exact conflict, but we know Paul felt it was important. And he felt that it was important enough to include the entire body of believers in this disagreement. So the things that we do know, we know that these women are believers. We know that these women have, have dedicated their lives to pursuing Christ and to pr pursue the, the, outward, the, the outward message of the gospel. 
And we also know that the Christian journey is not easy. We see it in the context here that there's, there's been struggle. Things have not been easy for this, this, this body of believers. But Paul handles this with tact. He doesn't say, hey, they need to get their stuff together. They said, hey, we're going to come together and pursue unity. Instead of, you know, having our pride, instead of being right, instead of saying, well, this person's right and this person's wrong, we are going to pursue unity together. He's calling the other believers, hey, is my true companion. Hey, along with these other believers, get Clement in here. Hey, we're pursuing unity and we're pursuing the gospel because that is what is the most important thing. And I love how Paul writes because this, this idea of pursuing unity and pursuing that same mindedness as he calls them in the beginning of chapter 2 wouldn't be the first time they heard this today. Back just a few paragraphs before in Philippians 2.1, Paul is encouraging him. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and one of mind. And I got to just think about Paul for a moment, but he's got to be chuckling a little bit as he's writing. This is like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm preparing it up. I'm putting it on a tee for him because what I'm saying here, they're, they're probably agreeing with. They're probably saying, yeah, that's truth. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Oh, hey, by the way, you, Odia and Sudtuke, I'm, I'm talking to you a little bit about this. And I love that because Paul is, is like I said, he's not trying to pick sides. He's not trying to say you're right and I'm, I'm wrong or I'm right and you're wrong. What he's trying to say, hey, what, what's most important is the gospel. What's most important is the fact that we are of one mind and one spirit because, yes, this Christian journey is not easy. What we experience may not make sense, but what we do have is we have the spirit of God in us. So let's focus on that because conflict happens, does it not? You know, I have a lot of experience working in teams, leading teams, doing, doing retreats with ropes courses and getting teams up and, and doing all the team building exercises. My small group team knows about that, and I make them play with mousetraps and other things to build our team unity. And without a doubt, every team that I've ever had, uh, had contact with had conflict. And we have conflict because anytime you ever get a group of people together, conflict happens. Think back, has anybody ever done a school group project? Yeah? There's, there's different tasks and different roles in that group project, and oftentimes conflict results. I'm pretty sure that teachers are like, listen, I don't even care about what you're doing. I care about building you guys and understanding that you got to work with other people. So yesterday, I got to experience that a little bit firsthand. I, uh, I, I was able to be a, a judge for a Lego League robotics competition. And for me, I felt a little bit out of my element because even when I was a kid, I struggled to like finish a Lego set. And so here I am playing a role in a, in a robotics competition. Luckily, I was not judging the, the robots themselves because I would have been like, hey, that's, it's got wheels. It's really cool. Um, no, uh, but I was judging their teamwork and how well they worked together and, and how they were able to overcome conflict, these, these second through fifth graders. And, and I'll tell you what, the, the line of the day yesterday, which, oh man, it was hilarious. So this, they came to us and they were very professional and they were telling us how all the things that they tried to do to build their team and that they had did some exercises and they worked well together and they had all these ideas. Well, we don't try to talk over each other when we have a conflict, we vote on it. And here was a line that a fourth grader told me. He says, man, we're, we're a good team, but we're, we're just going through a rough patch right now. And I sat there and I said, 
you're like 10. <laughs> and I don't you know, I didn't say that out loud, but I was like, man, if you think this is a rough patch, just, just wait. And, uh, but I love this, this picture is because conflict is a part of our lives. There's going to be people that you disagree with. There's going to be people that you're probably sitting right next to right now that you've disagreed with, maybe in the past 24 hours. They may have been in the ride over to church this morning and say, you know what, we're going to talk about this later. But conflict happens. But it's how we deal and how we respond to conflict that makes a difference. If what is most important is knowing Christ and making him known, which Paul talks about in just a few sentences prior in, in chapter 3, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for, the, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul is saying, hey, all of that stuff, all that disagreements, everything that I thought was most important, including being right, what's most important is knowing Christ and making him known. And that's, that's kind of steps on our toes a little bit, doesn't it? So where is conflict happening in your life today? What are you doing with it? Are you insisting on, hey, I want to be right? Like, what's, what's right? If, if I'm right, then, then we're good. But my challenge would be to you is how are you pursuing unity instead of conflict? How are you responding to that? And Paul continues to paint a picture of our citizenship in verse 4. He says, uh, rejoice in the Lord. He's saying that, hey, as citizens of heaven, your life should reflect these things. And he's not saying, hey, you got to try, 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 try. But hey, because of what God is doing in us, because of it, we have God's spirit in us, hey, this is what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. Here are the practical applications for that. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And there's some good stuff in there. And we're going to kind of just break that down, kind of verse by verse a little bit here, and say, hey, here are the practical applications of what we know God is doing in our lives and how our lives can, can reflect that and radiate his presence with us. So first one says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He says, I'll even say it again. Hey, rejoice in the Lord. This message is clearly important to, to Paul. He says it earlier, he says, rejoice in the Lord in the beginning of chapter 3. This, this joy that he's saying, hey, this is important. Don't let joy go by the wayside. Rejoice in the Lord because we have reasons to rejoice. You know, and, and it's not that hard to, to rejoice when, when things are going good. When, when, when life is, is going smoothly, when, when the kiddos are, are doing what they should be doing, when, when marriage is good, when friendships are good, when you're getting good grades in school, you're like, man, yeah, praise God. He's, man, he's bringing me through this. I, I'm loving it. It's, it's easy to see that. It's easy to be joyful when we see God at work in our lives. When we're, maybe we're going through a season where you just feel his presence. You feel that, that connection through prayer. You, you see him at work in your life, and you're like, yes, absolutely. Praise, praise God for what he's doing in our lives. But what about the times when we don't feel that way? What about the times when we're not seeing clearly God's blessings in our lives? When, when marriage is, is tough, when kids are driving you nuts, when school is, is more than you think you can bear, 
when, when things are tough at, at work, when, when things are just not making sense in your life, it could be the loss of a loved one, it could be all of these things that can take joy away. Because one of the first things, when we, when we experience hardship, when we experience conflict, what's the first thing to go? It's joy. And Paul, I think, understands that. I think understands that probably better than a lot of us could. He suffered some hardship. He wrote letters from prison. He, he suffered beatings. And he went through what none of us would ever want to go through. And he says, hey, we can rejoice. We should rejoice. There's something in him, something that Paul gets that I think a lot of times we can miss. It's that we have reasons to rejoice. And it all goes back to where our focus is. If we're focusing on the negative, if we're focusing on the things in our life that are saying, man, this is hard and I don't know how to deal with it. God, you're not, you're not answering my prayer at this very moment. I'm not seeing you at work in this. We, we tend to focus on ourselves. But here's some reasons that Paul, in these verses, is saying, hey, here's reasons to, to have hope, to be able to rejoice. He says, we have been saved and live in the hope of Christ's return and his complete working in us. It's finished. It's a done deal. The hope that it's not the Christmas wish list, it's the joyful expectation. It's happening. It says the Lord is near, both in proximity. We've been given his Holy Spirit. The Lord is there, but also the Lord is near that we have, we know he's coming back and we know the outcome. We have a God who hears us and desires for us to bring our worries and our anxieties and our anxieties and our stress to him. He desires that from us. And when we do that, we have God's peace. We have his protection that we're going to look at here in just a little bit. It continues in verse 5. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Some translations, you might say, let your reasonableness. And as I was looking through these, these different translations, I was like, man, those, those are very different words. Those are very, like, you know, gentleness. And you know, I think about telling my, like, my daughter, like, please don't squish the bug. Like, just, just let it go. Be gentle. Uh, but then your reasonableness, I think about arguing. I think about, like, well, what do you mean reasonableness? And so I went to, to my Greek dictionary. I got off, out of my office. I walked out of my, took two steps to the right, and I said, hey, Jeremy, what does this word mean? Because it's much easier just to say, hey, Jeremy, what does this word mean? Then try to find it and understand how to properly pronounce it. And so here we go. We have our, we're going to do a little bit of a Greek lesson this morning. All right, so go ahead and say that for me. I'm just kidding, I'll tell you. Uh, so this word, gentleness, the, the, the reasonableness, is case. Can you guys say that? case. There you go. case. I had to get lessons from Jeremy. I said, Jeremy, don't let me screw this up in front of everybody. But... We got it. So case, and it's this idea, yes, of gentleness, of, of being gentle, yielding, kind, courteous, and tolerant. It goes on, it says, not insisting on every right of letter, of law, or in custom. Because we live in a culture, we live in a society where somehow, someway, being right has become more important than being at peace with one another. Have we not? All it takes is go on, go, go on a social media site and somebody like could say, hey, I love cheeseburgers, and there's going to be like 15 comments saying, I can't believe you would say such an offensive, offensive thing. Um, we, we live in this culture of, of being right is the most important thing for the sake of all, all else. And Paul's saying our lives should look different. 
Our citizenship, our, our ability to, to our, our ability as believers, as ones who have been given his spirit to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, our, our lives should not reflect this idea that being right is more important than being at peace and of the same mind and of unity together. Paul is calling us to have a willingness to serve one another and come together, lay some of your pride down, lay some of your pride down to pursue what God would have us do together. Because how many times can we miss out on opportunities because we're so dead set on like, man, I can't believe they would do that, or we don't, we don't agree on this, or man, they think this way, or, or this church does this, and we can't do that, but how can we pursue the gospel together? Sure, we can have conflict. Conflict's inevitable. We're going to have conflict because we're people. But how do we pursue what's most important? Paul is saying, instead of insisting on being right, instead of saying, I'm, I'm going to stand, stand my ground here on, on, on something that might be insignificant or small, insist on being a gracious and humble Christ follower. What is your life, what would, could you imagine what our lives would look like if we said in an argument, said, hey, you know what? I'd rather be at peace with you. Where can we come together? Or maybe with another believer. Hey, you know, I know we see things differently. We may have different theological backgrounds. We may go to different churches. But, man, how can we pursue the gospel together? How can we reach those who don't know Jesus for, for the case of Christ? How can we set aside my pride? How can we set aside your pride to pursue what God would have us do together? Paul wants us to have the same mind. He says it a lot. He says, hey, be of one body. Be of one spirit. Have, be on the same page, guys. Because that is what's most important. It continues. Do not be anxious about anything. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty bold statement Paul says here. Because every single one of us, I'm, I'm sure, has experienced anxiousness or anxiety. And just out of curiosity, I looked at the, de- the definition uh, of anxiety in the dictionary. It says, a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an in- imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. I mean, that's life, is it not? Life is an uncertain outcome in a lot of ways. But Paul's saying, yeah, even when you don't know what's going to happen, even when maybe finances are tough, or even when kiddos are, are, are not doing what you want, or even when things are difficult, and you have every reason on the surface to say, I'm super anxious and super worried, there's not an exception here. It says, well, here are the things you can worry about, but don't be anxious about the rest. And he says, hey, don't be anxious about anything. And I, and I read in one, in one commentary this, this phrase, and it stuck with me, and I said, man, that's powerful. But worry or anxiety is not something that God calls us to bear. Think about that for a moment. Worry and anxiety is not something that God would have us bear. And Paul knows that. And he continues, he says, be worried about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He's saying, take what you're worried about and just give it to God. Present your requests to God. 
He's saying, what's, God's not calling you to live in that stress. God's not calling you to live in that worry and try to figure it out all on your own. Because I've done that. I, I, I do that all the time. Man, I got a problem, and I'm going to do everything I can to fix it and solve it on my own. I'm not going to bother God with that. He doesn't want to hear about that. But he does. So what are you not offering to God? What are you not banging on God's door with? The, that, that prayer and petition meaning is not like a, hey, God, I'm just going to drop you a little note and I'm never going to ask you. But no, what are you going to God with saying, God, I'm, I'm worried about this. This is bothering me. God, what, what am I going to do? Help me, God. Take this off my chest and, and, and let me, give me the power to trust in what you're doing and trust in your faithfulness. Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, there's, there's a part of the gospel, when, we, when we're stressing and we're worried and, 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 and we're in sin with things, uh, there's a part of the gospel that we're not trusting at the very core. There's a part of the gospel that we're saying, you know what? Yeah, I know Jesus died for me, and I know that he's a, he's a faithful provider, but I, I'm not sure about this. I don't know if I can trust him with this, or I don't know if I can trust him with my marriage, or I don't know if I can trust him with my God, or, man, that sin struggles too much. I, I don't even want to bring that to God because he, surely he wouldn't accept me after that. So what is that for you? What part of the gospel are you struggling to, to trust, knowing that God is a good God, that God is a faithful God? Paul's saying, instead of worrying, pray. It's that simple. Instead of being stressed and being anxious and sitting in that, offer it to God. Give it to him. First Peter 5 says this, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares about you. He loves you and desires to, to bring those things out of you. Your heavenly Father cares about you. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's, here's the kicker. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a promise. God wants your worries. He wants your anxieties. He wants your fears. And Scripture says that when we give him those things that he's asking for us, we receive peace. We receive a peace that, man, you can't even understand it. But when I look at this Scripture and when I look at what, what God is promising to us, it makes sense why Connie's happy all the time. It makes sense why she can rejoice because she truly believes this. She believes that, yes, life can be difficult. I don't like having to struggle with illness. I don't like having to see my husband struggle with illness. I don't like having to go through family issues. But what I do know is that God is in control. What I do know is that God is faithful. And if I offer him all of those things, the things that I'm worried about, I can be joyful in that peace. Because think about it this way. Don't we do this for our kiddos? Those of you who have kiddos here this morning, has ever, everyone come to you just, just, man, just maybe so worried about something or upset about something, and your first reaction is to try to give them peace? Man, I'm sorry, you feel that way. Tell me about that. Man, how can I help you? What, what can I do to make you feel better? How can I give you peace in this stressful situation? We want to take those, those worries and those anxieties and those fears and those things that they're stressing about away from them because we want them to have good things. We want to see our children happy. We want to see them running around acting like crazy people with smiling, and running around all over the church and our houses, right? We, that, that brings a smile to our face most of the time. But we do this for our kiddos. We do this because we care about them. We want them to bring us their hard stuff. And our Heavenly Father wants us to 
to bring the same. And I love it because it says not only do we have peace, but we have protection. It says that the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this guard terminology is, is, is a military term. It's this idea of a sentry soldier standing guard saying, nope, nothing's getting past me. You cannot go there. As one commentator put it, God's protective custody of those who are in Christ Jesus extends to the core of their beings and to their deepest intentions. That's powerful. A lot of times we think about protection of just physical, like, I, well, I'm not going to stub my toe today. God says so. No, that's not what it says. But what it says is, is that to the very core of our hearts, of who we are, the, 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 the intentions of, of everything of our inner being, God's there to protect it. He's saying that you're, you're not getting in that heart. 1 Peter 1.5 says that we are shielded by God's power. A peace that doesn't even make sense and protection to our core comes when we say, you know what, God, I am fully trusting you with all of it. And that's pretty powerful. Paul recognizes that these believers in Philippi, these, these groups, of believers who could have, who've had conflict, who've had struggle, who, who've been difficult. He says, I, I realize, man, instead of giving you a checklist of like, well, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then all your problems will be solved, he's saying, trust God. God's in control. Yeah, we can have struggle, but the, the stamp of our citizenship, who we are as believers, means that we have a God who is powerful, on guard to protect us who desires our worries and our anxieties when life is tough, who desires to give us good things. So as we kind of wrap up here, part of, of living in the hope of what God is doing in our lives is the confidence to stand firm. You know, I, I, I think it's the idea of, of you can see when, when a child has confidence, when you've encouraged them saying, you can do it, I think about my, my daughters when, when they've played a sport or I've done dance or something, when, when they can walk in with confidence because they know they've been encouraged and they know that we have their backs, there's a whole different persona that's happening. And if we can rely on our Heavenly Father in the same way, we can stand firm because we have a God who's faithful and is in control. And even in the midst of our struggle, even in the midst when life is not fun or easy or happy, uh, our God is good. It gives us the confidence to pursue unity together. Because the Christian journey is meant to be done together. Paul doesn't say, hey, you need to go put Euodia and Suntuke in a room and let them just figure it out. And when, they're, when they've come out, maybe, maybe things will be better. He's saying, no, let's, hey, this is, this is a body thing. This is a thing that we do together. Pursuing unity, pursuing reconciliation, pursuing healing is something we're, we're called to do together. Let's share our lives, share our struggles. Let's, let's be one together. Let's be of the same mind because when we can come together and support one another and encourage one another and approach them the way that Paul talks about them, saying, my joy and my crown, the one whom I love, when we can approach each other like that, life looks different. Lastly, we can rejoice in the Lord. We have the confidence to rejoice. When you say, God, it is all yours one of those things I'm struggling with, the hard times that I might be going through, it is all yours because I can't do it on my own and I'm going to trust that you are faithful and you are good. We have reasons 
to rejoice. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll always be happy. That doesn't mean that life will always be just, just all great all the time. It doesn't mean that your marriage is going to be perfect all the time. Your kiddos are going to be, do exactly what you want the very first time that you ask. They do that already, right? My kid, no, I'm just kidding. They don't do that. Uh, but it does mean that we can rejoice because we have been made righteous by God. Made righteous by what God did through his son, Jesus. So I don't know where you are today in your faith. Maybe this is your first time here this morning. Maybe uh, this is uh, a routine for you. Maybe you're feeling strong. Maybe you're clearly seeing God at work in your lives, or maybe you aren't. Maybe you're praying and, and you're not sensing God's listening ears. Or maybe you don't know about this faith stuff. Maybe you're like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just here. I got invited. Whatever it might be. But I would challenge wherever you are in your faith to do a heart check. Are you trusting that God is in control? Do you truly know how much you're cared for and loved by your Heavenly Father? Because whether you're a believer and you've been a believer your entire life or, or, or you've never stepped foot in a church before today, God loves you and cares about you more than you could ever imagine. And he was willing to meet us exactly where we are in the deepest, darkest parts of our heart, the sin that we never would ever want to let the light of day see. He met us there and says, I love you even through that. How are we trusting God today? How is our citizenship as believers reflected through that? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you that there is just an incredible burden lifted off of our shoulders when we say, God, you are in control, you are faithful, and you are good. I pray for that for each and every one of us here this morning. I pray that our hearts would recognize our need for you. That the struggles, the worries, the anxieties are not something that you called us to bear. You said, cast them on me because I care about you and I love you. I pray for each and one of us that we would pursue unity, God. That we would pursue the gentle love of believers towards one another instead of being right, instead of our pride. I pray as we leave here this morning that we would not be uh, idle, God, but that we would have been changed by your truth and your word, and that we would grow in our faith because of it. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen.